Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Pentecost season, proper number 10. Today, we are beginning the second series in our Pentecost season. It's entitled Focused. If someone's focused, they're not as easily distracted, right? Of course, that may not be a good thing for the unbeliever. Their focus can't help but be selfish, leading to spiritual disaster. The believer, by contrast, has a wonderful new focus given by God, and we'll explore that idea the next several weeks during our worship. Today, we're thinking about the readings for the Sunday that falls between July 10th and July 16th, so proper number 10 in year C. The theme tying the readings together is focused love finds a neighbor rather than avoiding one. I'm Tom Cuck. I serve as professor at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary and also as director of Grow and Grace, the continuing education arm of the seminary. The Preacher's podcasts are a joint effort of Grow and Grace, along with John Hines Congregational Services Office. With me today is Pastor Nathan Nass of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Pastor James Borgward, who serves Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And also joining us today is Professor Alan Sorum, who serves in the New Testament Department at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, as well as a number of other areas. Nathan, let's, uh, Nathan Nass, let's start with you. As mentioned, today we start a new series called Focus. Talk to us about the proper 10 theme in the Focus series. It's great to be with you today. Uh, for me, thinking about this focus series, it's helpful to, to look at what Luke 9, verse 51 says. That's the verse that tells us that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so, as was mentioned, this, this focus, it, it comes from Jesus' focus. Uh, throughout the middle of the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus focused on his task of winning salvation for us, and his focus is what gives us focus, too. Um, in today's lessons, especially the Gospel, we're going to hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so the special focus Jesus gives us today is that we're, we're focused on, on our neighbor. And as we'll get into as we talk about that parable, um, Jesus and what he's done for us frees us from serving ourselves and allows us to, to seek out our neighbor, whoever that is, wherever that is, whenever that is, and to focus on, on loving them as, as we love ourselves and as, as Jesus has loved us. So we want to be focused on, on our neighbors. Thank you for those thoughts, Nathan. James, if you could take us the next step and give us a quick synopsis of the other readings that are pointed for this Sunday. Sure. In uh, the Old Testament reading from Luke chapter 1, you have that beautiful and that heart-wrenching story of Naomi. And uh, you've got, got Ruth and Orpah. They all lose their, their husbands. They're in Moab. And that it's, it's the moment when Ruth decides, or Naomi decides, to go back uh, to Israel, where she figures maybe is her best chance of security. Even a little angry at God, she pauses the, the return and, and tells her these uh, daughters-in-law to, um, to return, you know, to, to their families. And it's Ruth's insistence that's the central focus, where she, she let her... Uh, mother-in-law, no, Naomi, that, that she was going to, to be with her in those, those memorable words, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I, I will stay, your people will be my people, and, and, and your God, uh, my God, and it's only because of Ruth's insistence that Naomi allowed her to, to go with, and the point is, is for Ruth, there would have been 
much greater security in, in Moab, but what was more important to her was she saw the need, the desperate need really of, of Naomi and, and uh, was determined to, to go with her. That was the, the neighbor that she saw in need and was determined to help her. In Galatians 5, you have, um, well, especially the end of that chapter with the well-known words of the fruit of the spirit. Um, but the, the link that ties this in is especially how Paul quotes from Leviticus 19, verse 18, uh, you know, just as the, um, the expert in the law does in the gospel lesson, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so, you know, Paul talks about that not coming out of the, the law, but really that we're free to do so because the spirit with whom we walk uh, enables us uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So those are the other two lessons that tie in with the gospel from Luke 10. Professor Alan Sorum, let's move to you at this point. Why don't you start to take us into the sermon text, Luke 10, 25 through 37 is the suggested text for this Sunday. What would you like us to start to recognize about that text, Professor Sorum? Well, there are interesting tidbits in the Greek. I'm not sure that they're uh, uh, anything you can build a doctrine upon, but you can surely use these tidbits to add some layers of um, flavor and interest to your story. Uh, the first thing, uh, let's talk about the lawyer a little bit. Uh, uh, behold, there was a, a certain lawyer. Now, before we go any further, I think it's helpful to look at what Luke said just immediately prior to our text. Um, Jesus Luke quotes Jesus marveling over the wonderful things that have been revealed to his disciples. Uh, he, Jesus says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. To hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And now I, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure it's not any kind of accident that now Luke is going to share a story about a highfalutin lawyer who refuses to see what's right in front of him. And uh, the, the Greek tidbits really, I think, give some fun insight into this lawyer, that he's, uh, he gets up testing Jesus, ekpirazon, testing Jesus. Now, that's an interesting word. Uh, I, I'm going to go with this, that the lawyer takes it upon himself to see what's in Jesus' heart. He's going to test Jesus' heart and motive. You could say maybe the lawyer's trying to set him up or trick him. But um, maybe if, if I keep sharing a little more insight on uh, about the, the lawyer, you might uh, accept my interpretation that the lawyer really wants to see what's in Jesus' heart. So here's what the lawyer says. Teacher, what having done, uh, past participle there, Eris participle, what having done, eternal life will I inherit? Um, after I do what thing, will, that will that allow me to have eternal life? Notice that these are all indicative. Uh, there's, no, there's no subjunctive in here, you know, like what might I do to eternal life or what should I do that might I might try to get eternal life? That's not how our lawyer talks. He, he, it's almost like it's a given, you know, what among the, all, the many things that I've already done assures me of having eternal life. What having done uh, will get me eternal life. Very, very interesting to me. Uh, Jesus kind of turns the lawyer thing around uh, him. 
if Jesus knew a lawyer joke, I think he'd be telling it right now. But uh, here, here's what he says to the lawyer. He says, in the law, what is written, how do you read it? Now, that's very interesting because uh, Jesus perceives how the lawyer's coming at him. He's coming at him <laughs> in the basis of uh, hard facts. And, you know, I can, pronounce, I can justify myself. I've done enough good deeds to justify myself according to the law. So Jesus says, okay, let's talk about the law. How, how do you read it? Uh, the, the lawyer's answer is interesting. Uh, he, he replies and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your CK, all your soul, with all your iski, all your strength. And then he adds, with all your mind. Now, I looked at all the versions for Deuteronomy 6, and you don't find those four things. You find, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. You don't, uh, heart, soul, and strength. You don't find mind. Uh, in a different place, Jesus says, um, let's see, I think Matthew 22, if I recall correctly, Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, with your mind and your heart and your soul. But you don't find all four. So I'm wondering if the lawyer, so confident of himself, he adds, he adds another thing to the impossible list of things that as far as he's concerned, he's actually got it done. And then he adds, love, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so Jesus says, uh, again, interesting little tidbit. He says, tuta koyai, be doing these things, present tense. You, you keep doing those things. You be doing those things and you will live. Now, I think here comes the most interesting little tidbit to me. Um, wanting to justify himself. What, what, does, what, what does that mean? Uh, I've, I looked at a lot of commentators, just see how they interpreted that. Um, not, not, you know, okay. Uh, but here's, here's, here's where I'm thinking he's going with that. Jesus says, you be loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. You be loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think here's what this arrogant, self-fulfilling, uh, self-justifying lawyer's thinking, well, all I need is a neighbor worthy of my love, and I'd love him. So on the one hand, he hasn't loved anybody more than himself, as much as himself. He's got to justify himself. So me reading between the lines, I think he's saying, show me the leader, <laughs> show me the, the neighbor that deserves me to love them. Okay, so then Jesus tells this incredibly lovely, beautiful story, parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Now in the parable itself, there's, there's a couple of interesting things. Um, the, the, the Levite had no compassion in his heart for his uh, injured brother. And um, the uh, priest had no compassion in his heart for his in injured brother. But here comes the Samaritan, right? The, this uh, lovingly called Samaritan dog by his Jewish half-brothers, right? The Samaritan dog comes along. Look at the word that Jesus used uh, about him. He, he sees him. He, he feels compassion. 
Now that word splongnizo is, is used 12 times in the gospels. Nine times it's used of Jesus. Jesus looked at the crowds who didn't have a shepherd and he felt compassion. Jesus looked at the sick and the hungry and the people who needed the kingdom of God and he felt compassion. Um, another place it's, it's, uh, it's used, it's, it's like a divine word almost, divine compassion, and Jesus is applying it to the Samaritan. I, I think that's very, very interesting. And then um, the, other, the other interesting thing is uh, the, the uh, Samaritan takes his injured brother, his injured half-brother, uh, on his donkey, takes him to the inn, and he says to the inn keeper, here's, here's a large amount of money. This is a, a lot of money to take care of this person. It's enough money to help him get back on his feet again. But then he says, if there's more that needs to be paid, he says, ego. He says, I am going to repay. I myself am going to repay. And I find that, again, you know, it's not earth shattering. It's not huge. But it's an interesting extra word that Jesus didn't need to throw in there. But he put it in there on purpose. He's really... He's drawing attention to the fact that this Samaritan says, I, a Samaritan, good for my word, caring about my half-brother here, I am going to take care of any bills that are outstanding when I return. And then Jesus asked the, uh, asked the lawyer, well, what do you think about this? Um, uh, which of these people that walked by the injured man proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer, the lawyer had no, no choice but to acknowledge it was the one who showed mercy. He uses the word mercy, L-A-S, who, who did mercy to him. And here's what Jesus says. Uh, he repeats, poia, you go and you be doing likewise. Uh, some interesting little tidbits to add interest, perhaps, to the, to the personality of not only uh, the lawyer, but the personality of Jesus, just how just how Jesus is trying to lead this lawyer to see the, his own hard heart and help the lawyer see that as, as much as he tr might try to start doing these things, uh, he could never do them to the degree that would allow him to be justified by God rather than by himself. Well, that's a lot of great information there, Professor Sorum. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, just a couple of quick reactions uh, to that. Number one, man, does Jesus hammer this guy. Um, it, it's certainly appropriate and okay for us to use this text as a law, as a guide text for how God wants us to show love for others. But I think it's important that we recognize that the first reason this text was given was law as a mirror. It was meant to hammer somebody who was self-righteous and needed to be hammered. And, uh, and by using the present tenses, you be going and you be doing, likewise, uh, this guy got all law. And so you've got the irony that the lawyer gets answered by Jesus from the law and with all law. <laughs> it's just sort of an interesting little way that plays out. Nate, Nathan, James, what, uh, what are some of the thoughts that come to your mind? Nathan, I see you're, you've got something to bring in here. Yeah, just to, to that point that you just made, I... Just before having this podcast, I was visiting a, a new prospect at her church for the first time, and she was describing her spiritual journey, and she described how she was starting to read the Bible for the first time, and her comment was, you know, the more I read the Bible, I realize I'm not who I thought I was. 
and it just made me think of, you know, that, that lawyer, Jesus showed him that he was not who he thought he was. And I told this lady today, this is what God's word does. It, it serves as a mirror to show us who we are and to show us our sins so that we can see Jesus. I think as we preach on this, it's important to help our people see this parable of the Good Samaritan. It's not, it's not a nice gospel story. Like you said, I think our people, well, this is a nice story, right? About this Good Samaritan. It really serves as a mirror to, to show me too. I'm not who I, I think I am. I don't love my neighbor the way that God calls me to. And I don't love God the way God calls me to either. Yeah, I always find that interesting in this text that uh, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. And that the lawyer jumps past that and wants to know who his neighbor is as if he's already done the God part, huh? <laughs> I've got that all nailed down. But who's the neighbor thing? Um, wow, how we sinful human beings misunderstand how sinful, uh, how sinful we are. Uh, James, were you ready to pop in there? Yeah, um, just on that idea of, you know, it is, it is law. You know, there's obviously where we have gospel tie-ins that are going to lead us to Calvary here. But, um, but as he hammers him, as you said, with the law, you know, he does it indirectly, you know, like Nathan did to David. He, he, he allows the man really to do it for himself. The man's a lawyer. Uh, he's an expert in the law, so, and he wants to talk only about the law. And so Jesus says, okay. So he allows the man to use the tools that he an, is an expert in and allows the man to take, you know, to take the path of his choosing. And then Jesus just, just followed along on that path and leads him to a point where it's, as Professor said, it's inescapable what, what the conclusion is. And he, and he does at the end, of course, turn the question around from who is my neighbor to, you know, whom to whom can I be a neighbor, is, is how Jesus ultimately answers it. And obviously that's a, uh, the, the better question to ask. And the Samaritan can't even, or the uh, lawyer can't even come to bring himself to say the Samaritan. <laughs> nope, it's the guy who had mercy. Can't even say it. Ugh. I had to call him. Nathan. Professor, I appreciate how, how you pointed out that phrase he wanted to justify himself. And to me, understanding that phrase is really important to understand what's what's the point of this parable. And in, in your opinion, this parable, is it is it at its core, is it really meant to say you can't earn your way to heaven? Or is the parable at its core to say, this is how you're supposed to love your neighbor? Maybe the answer is both, but I think it kind of ties with that phrase. He was trying to justify himself. Was he trying to, to earn his way to heaven? Was he trying to justify his question? Do you have any more to say about that? Yeah, I love speculating what Jesus was thinking in a given moment of his earthly ministry. Thank you, Nathan, for allowing that. Um, I'm going to speculate and say that uh, Jesus is a master at taking your, your that which keeps you away from Jesus. He's a master at taking that and trying to use it to help you see Jesus. Now, it doesn't seem that Jesus succeeded, perhaps, with this particular lawyer. But the lawyer, he, he, he said, having done what, will I, will I in, uh, inherit eternal life? Um, that's kind of a strange way to talk. And as I wrestle with what that sentence means, to me it means, uh, what have I done that I can hang my confidence to have eternal life on? That's how I have to interpret it. Unless you can show me a better way, Nathan, to interpret it, and I'll submit. But having done what will I, uh, 
inherit eternal life. So, so Jesus says, well, tell me about this law. How do you read the law? That's not what's your riff on the law, what's your interpretation on the law. Jesus is saying, recite the law. And so, so he does. He not only recites it, but he perhaps even adds something to it. As I mentioned, there's, there's you know, heart, mind, strength, and soul. Uh, he adds something to it, suggesting, you know, I got this. You know, I can add I can add requirements because I'm so good. I can add to requirements. So, so, so Jesus says, and you know, you're kind of missing the, the deluxe mamma jamma requirement of all. And that is to love selflessly, to give, to, to, to not justify yourself, not be so in tune to yourself, but to focus outward and to love and to give and to be generous and and when, the, when Jesus reinterprets the law as a law of love, then the guy, the guy has to admit, well, you know, th- this guy was a neighbor. The, the guy who was a true neighbor was the guy who showed mercy. There's no mercy in a lawyer's language. Have you ever known a lawyer, Nathan, who was characterized by lawyer? That's not the nature of the law business. The law business is attack and prove and demonstrate wrong. That's what he was doing. But Jesus says, in this case, you lose, my friend, because you're missing the point of law, and that's love. So uh, and that's my answer to your question, Nathan. I, I, I don't know if that's acceptable to you, but that's my answer. That's a good answer. Thank you for that. I just know, as I study this story, it's helpful to, to really focus on those two questions that are asked. What must I do to have eternal life, and who is my neighbor? And even as I think about my sermon, um, obviously Jesus is teaching me about love for my neighbor, but I have to tie that back to ultimately the problem isn't just I don't love my neighbor. It's that I can't earn my way to heaven. Those two just go hand in hand and you see Jesus masterfully weave those two together. And I guess our goal in our sermon would be to do something like that. Start with trying to get to heaven. The neighbor part, that's a big part of the conversation, but I've got to get back to if I don't love my neighbor, it's not just a matter of not loving my neighbor. It's I can't earn my way to heaven. I need Jesus. Alan? Just to respond to that, um, Nathan, I think if, if I could preach the hopelessness and despair that I think this lawyer walked away from, I wait, walked away from Jesus with in his heart, just, just despair. I'm not who I thought I was. I don't have what I thought I had. I am nothing, I have nothing. That's my segue to the gospel. Um, you, you know that uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan has got a rich history with being allegorized to death. And um, you know what Luther allegorized pretty successfully himself on, on this particular story. Uh, I, later on, I have a quote from Luther on this text I wanna read to you, but we can show our people that in our efforts are legitimate, logical. Why wouldn't we try to justify ourselves? Of course, we're going to try to justify ourselves. In fact, we do it every day. Do you see the outcome? It's failure. It's despair. It's you walk away with nothing. You're defeated. You're lost. That's that's the segue to the good news that that this outsider. Okay, this I'm not allegorizing. So let me be very specific with my hermeneutic here. When I see the Samaritan outcast, I think of Jesus, 
who is this outsider rabbi not having a, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head, who was cast out into the desert to be tested by Satan, who was uh, abused and, and persecuted and nailed to a cross. When I see this outsider take on my shame so I can have his inherent glory, then I leave, now I leave justified. Anderson has some interesting insights into this text. He talks about how the, uh, the rabbis and the commentators, the Mishnah spends tons of time debating who the neighbor is. And that just shows you the helplessness of work righteousness, that when you get into the work righteousness stuff, you got to start to figure out all the little details. And so he comes to Jesus and by the way, who, who do you think the neighbor is? And uh, <laughs> the answer he gets is nowhere near what he thought he was going to get, which hammers him for sure. Uh, Pastor Nass, Nathan Nass. Yeah, to, to that point, I think it's interesting to, to read Leviticus chapter 19, where the love your neighbor as yourself comes from. And God in the Old Testament, he gives the command twice in the same chapter. The first time, he says, love one of your people as yourself. But then about 15 verses later, he, he, he mentions the same command again, but brings up if there's a foreigner living among you, love that person as yourself too. And I think it's great to note, even in the Old Testament, God himself through Moses, he gave the command both. If it's one of your people, love them like yourself. If it's a foreigner living among you, love them like yourself. And just, you mentioned the debate, well, who's my neighbor? That's just, it's just our, our complete, our, our sinful nature, right? Yeah. Trying to limit whom God tells us to love. When God, from the very beginning, he didn't put any limit on it. Amen. Let's move into uh, preaching the text a little bit more specifically. As you're thinking about preaching this text, uh, what are some of the law thoughts you're, you're hoping to specifically bring out? What are some of the gospel thoughts? You're hoping to bring out. Well, I'll jump in with uh, with the law. I mean, this is a, a text that it, it immediately hits me between the eyes because as soon as you see, you know, what's expected of us regarding our, our neighbor who who could ever continue to justify oneself before God, and and so I, I think it's natural for us, just like the expert in the law, natural for our people to try to minimize what that requirement is, as, as we've talked about, to, to make that requirement of loving our neighbor as small as, as possible. And then in the story that Jesus tells, obviously there are no boundaries uh, to that. And, and who, is, who is up to that task? And to let the people you know, come to that conclusion that there's no way we've come even close to loving our neighbors perfectly. And so how in the world would we think we'd love God perfectly? You're right, right. Uh, yeah, because if we can't even get the neighbor thing down, there's no shot at getting the God thing down. Uh, Pastor Nass, Nathan, what are some of your thoughts? We're thinking about the, the malady in this text. It was helpful to me to, to read in a commentator to give examples of ways that we limit God's command, like James mentioned. And you can think of who and, and when and, and how much when it comes to my neighbor. We limit it by who it is. And we always wanted to, I'm going to love the people like me. And we limit it, though, the when. And usually we say, I'll love somebody when they deserve it. Or I love someone when, when they love me back. And the how much is, well, I'll love someone as long as it doesn't cause any kind of hardship or burden to me. And in all those areas, Jesus is saying, you can't limit this, right? The who, even if it's your worst enemy, a Samaritan. The when, even if it's some guy who doesn't deserve it one bit, you don't even know on the side of the road. And the how much 
just the sacrifices the Samaritan went through way beyond what we would expect. And I know my sinful nature with the excuses I make to, to have those excuses laid out there and to say, every one of them, and Jesus says, love your neighbor beyond what we want to do. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's important to, to let Jesus remove those excuses that we naturally that we naturally want to put out there. We're going to think, oh, there's so much risk and unnecessary risk involved in, in, in doing that. Um, and, and even a, another one to add to it, and to, I guess to um, add to Professor Storm's point before of this, this Samaritan, how we see Jesus as the, as the foreigner, the unloved. Remember, he is in Israelite territory here, right? Or he's, he's on that, that Jericho road. Um, and the risk that, that he would have taken uh, not just to his time, not just to his uh, treasure, but to his life to, to take for a Samaritan to bring a half-dead Jewish man into a Jewish town that probably doesn't look real good initially. So he's, he's even risking a, a little bit of, of his life, so to speak, being in, in uncomfortable territory himself. So that whether you want to flesh those ideas out or not, they're, they're there. Pastor Ness, Nathan Ness. I was just going to say, I, I never noticed the detail, but um, if you go back to chapter nine, right after it says Jesus resolutely set out to, to Jerusalem, that's where you have Jesus passing through Samaria and he's rejected by the Samaritans. And Jesus' disciples say, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on these guys? And that's, that's the immediate context of Jesus' own disciples where we're ready to call down fire on the Samaritans. And then we have this story. It wasn't just this lawyer that was struggling with with racism or thoughts like it was Jesus' own disciples who didn't know who their neighbor was. Professor, can go up. I think this is an incredibly relevant text for our time. Uh, what we hear about the racial division in our land, we, we hear about really angry people. People are angry. And um, I, I think the people in our pews really need some help navigating the polarization, extreme polarization in our land. I, I think um, something that, that I would like to say so, would go something like this. Um, dear, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, dear members of our congregation, there's, there's some hurting people out there, the people that have been victimized by injustice. Uh, there's people that are tired of watching other people being victimized by injustice. They're angry, but you know what? Anger is absolutely exhausting. You, you, can't, you can't justify your anger by being angry at someone else. It's too exhausting. It's not satisfying. It's not ennobling. Dear brothers and sisters, let, let us each be ready to reach out to our weary, angry neighbors and just surprise the daylights out of them in exactly the same way that Jesus surprised the lawyer with a story of the Good Samaritan who, who was supposed, to, according to the world, he was supposed to hate the Jewish man lying wounded in the street. I mean, according to the world, the Samaritan would go check the pockets of the world man while he was wounded and down and couldn't defend himself. According to the world, the Samaritan man would, would kick him in the ribs hard while he was down. 
but but that is not at all what he did. He did something that was countercultural. He did something that was unnatural, and he showed real love. Um, if I may just, this is from a, a sermon that Luther wrote, and I, I think it, I, re, I love to read Luther's sermons, and I'll be honest with you, um, uh, I, I, I get some great ideas for my sermons by stealing um, with, with impunity from, from Luther's sermons. And, and I would steal these thoughts. Here's what Luther says. This is a picture. He's talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a picture which accurately portrays Christ's person and his love toward us. Also, the fruits that inevitably issue forth in the lives of those who gladly hear his word and gospel. The fact is that wherever his word is welcomed and received in faith, it fashions people like the Samaritan here, gentle, compassionate, merciful people. They cannot bear to see anyone suffering. And when this happens, they tender their own resources and provide help howsoever they can. Where there are people truly in need, there it should behoove a Christian to do what the Samaritan does here. Now, Luther slides into some pretty sweet, uh, you can't argue with this sanctification. He thinks like this, the Samaritan kind of Christian thinks like this, this poor man is my neighbor. This person who's angry at me, this person who hates me because I'm a different race, a different tribe, I speak a, a different accent. This poor man is my neighbor. He is a human being and has a body and soul just as I have. Yes, my God is also his God. He is therefore much closer to me than any beast of the field simply because he is a human being. Therefore, I cannot leave him lie and languish in want. So come, my dear brother, let me help you. I will do all I can for you. And his actions demonstrate that he is true to his word, for he treats him as a father treats his child. Such individuals truly have the mind of God. I don't know how you preach a more encouraging gospel-based sanctification than that. Yeah, that, that, that was awesome. The whole idea that God can take me and reshape me so that I can show that kind of love. What wonderful love of God to do that. Uh, what are some other thoughts uh, you guys had in regards to sharing gospel out of this text? Obviously, since this text has so much law, it's a little bit more, more challenging, but uh, there's certainly gospel that, that can be brought out, and that was some excellent stuff. Uh, Pastor Nasser, Pastor Borgward, either one of you want to comment on that, preaching gospel from this text? Um, I'll jump in first. I think when you compare the reactions of those three people who saw uh, the beaten Jewish man, um, you know, the first two, it's they saw and they passed by. They saw and they passed by. And then with the Samaritan is he saw, and then it says he went to him. But in between, it was, you know, that divine compassion that Professor talked about. Um, he had pity on him. He had that that compassion on him. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's your springboard to Christ, uh, of course, having having compassion on us who are, in a far worse situation and could have left us, could have left us for dead. And I think that I'm, I'm glad that the expert in the law didn't say 
in answer to Jesus, Jesus' question, so who is the one who was a neighbor? He didn't say the Samaritan. I'm glad he gave the answer he did, the one who had mercy, um, which could serve as a possible theme, you know, because you're, you're focusing on us having mercy uh, upon others. Um, but we can only do that because of the one who had mercy of, upon us first. So those are just some of my thoughts. Nice thoughts, Pastor Borgord. Pastor Nass, anything you'd like to add in regard to preaching gospel from this text or on this text? I just think we can, we can know how, how different Jesus is from us, and yet he still came and, and he saved us and, and he loved us. You think God himself took on flesh and blood to be near to us and um, God's grace to us. It's just, it's just amazing to think about. Um, we have this question, what must I do to be saved? And Luke doesn't answer it here. We don't see Jesus answer it. It's good to know Luke does answer it. You get to the book of Acts and you run into another guy who was at wit's end and, and it was the jailer at Philippi. And he asked the same question. It's not quite the same words in Greek, but it's the same question. What must I do to be saved? And there Luke gives us Paul's words of believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so we can certainly um, use other parts of the, the Bible that give us the full story of here's the law side. We don't do this. But the gospel side is Jesus did. And by faith in Jesus, we have eternal life, which even this lawyer didn't have. Yeah, and as uh, Alan, uh, Professor Sorum earlier, you had pointed out that that Greek word splachnitzomai occurs only a few times. I think one of the times it occurs is when Jesus uh, sees the widow of names, uh, dead son in the funeral procession, that Jesus' heart went out to her and to bring out that thought that, yes, the Samaritan had compassion on the man laying at the side of the road, Jesus has had even more compassion in you and me. And will continue to have that kind of compassion on us forever and ever and ever. It is just amazing, amazing gospel for us to, uh, to, to see. Um, let's talk about just the, in, in kind of wrapping things up here, what are you seeing as the main purpose of this sermon? Are you seeing this as an encouragement sermon, a spur to action sermon? an introspection sermon? What, what kind of thoughts are in your mind as far as where you see this sermon going? One way is an encouragement sermon, but with that gospel encouragement of, of freedom that, that comes first, that we are free and, and safe to take the risks of loving our, our neighbor. And our neighbor, of course, is those who need us, those who, who need our help. Can, can Pastor uh, Borber, can you expound on that? You said take the risk of loving our neighbor. What, what's your thought on that? Well, I, I, I think we have those built-in excuses of where, where we, we, we limit our responses uh, because we do our own risk, risk assessments. And I think we interweave that with, with uh, uh, spiritual excuses, um, whether it be, you know, I don't have the money to, to, to handle this situation, or um, I don't, I don't have the, the the time to it. I can't, or I can't serve everyone, you know. I, I and so sometimes, well, I can't serve everyone, so I'm not, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve no one. But Christ only calls us, you know, to serve one at a time. Um, I think in Matthew 25, what out of that those uh, words of grace, He's going to remind us that when we did one of these things for the least of these brothers or sisters, we we did it for Him one at one at a time, um, and Maybe a thought behind that, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. 
when I give of my time or my treasures, it's not this zero sum game. It's not as if I'm losing out because Christ provides everything. So I can take these risks to provide for others who don't have what I have. And that is above all Christ. Pastor Nass, you want to jump in on that thought of what you're seeing as the main thought or the main goal of this sermon? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think that the text lends itself to make this, this sermon into a story and let those two questions that are asked, what must I do to be, be saved and who's my neighbor, you know, focus on those and tell a story just like Jesus does in your own words. So this isn't, this isn't meant to be a sermon that's kind of like a, a doctrinal treatise. This is tell a story like Jesus did to teach the main point. And to me, like Professor Sorum said, it's so relevant today to talk about we have problems with loving our neighbor today. We really do. And bring up racism. Bring up, you know, politics in a way to say well, you, you love who, who's like you, who has your beliefs, and you really hate those who don't. And I do too. And this is a big problem. Um, so the law, it's so, it's so clear in that way. Then get to Jesus and how Jesus is so totally different than us. And it's, it's his love and his grace to us. It just shocks us. And then go back at the end of the sermon to say it's, it's Jesus who motivates us to love. It's, he, he's the only way that it happens. It's only through Jesus. And appreciate Tim Keller in a sermon on this text. He, he had the phrase that you can't be a neighbor until you are neighbored by Jesus. And you think Christ's love compels us. So I guess as I think of my sermon, to, to use a story to focus on those two questions, but to kind of have this back and forth, my failings in loving my neighbor Jesus, who's done everything perfectly for me, and then back to me, and it's it's Jesus' love for me that's going to motivate me to to love everybody whom God puts in my life. Well, thank you, Pastor Nass, and I think we will wrap it up there. My thanks to Professor Sorum from the seminary, to Pastor Nathan Nass from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and James Borgward from Redeemer Fond du Lac. And we wish all of the preachers out there the Lord's richest blessings as you preach on this text. Thanks, Tom. Oh, shoot. Uh, I need to stop.